What's going on, everyone? This is another episode of Left Side Heavy, the podcast presented by Blue Wire Hustle. It's your boy, Jevin LaFave. Today was a, this episode, today, but this episode was a very fun episode with my guy, Brett Roselle. He is very knowledgeable in a lot of aspects of sports, but this uh, episode, we focused a lot on the NHL with the uh, basically announcing they're not going to the Olympics and some Paul Maurice news and just news around the league. So we touch on that. And then for the NFL, we talk about the week 15 slate, lots of upsets and just lots of big games to talk about. So it was a very fun episode. We also touched on time for the press and on this day in sports history. So be sure to listen to the full episode. Brett's an awesome guest and be sure to um, look out for his name a lot in the coming future, because he was a very fun guest to talk to. You guys are going to really enjoy the episode. So Sit back, relax, get comfortable, and enjoy Brett Roselle. Here we go. It's episode 74 of Left Side Heavy, the podcast presented by Blue Wire Hustle. I'm your host, Jevin LaFave. And kind of a new thing through this uh, segment of episodes from Left Side Heavy, the BCIT student series, I guess I can call it. Three out of my past four guests have been... uh, classmates of mine in the BCIT radio arts and entertainment program. Today I'm bringing on fellow classmate and radio student, Brett Roselle. How's it going, my man? How you doing? Doing awesome, buddy. Happy to be on today. Doing great. So I've been uh, asking the past couple, um, I had Emil and Tim on and I asked them the same question, but what kind of got you into radio and what enticed you to take the program? I come from a music background myself, so I've been working in the arts, teaching, performing as a singer-songwriter, guitarist for uh, quite some time. So I've been kind of using my voice and performing for a while, um, but I have a serious passion for for sports and for uh, just kind of media in general. So I thought I'd kind of pivot and uh, see if I could take those talents into BCIT and channel them into uh something different and something sports related, ideally. So, um, yeah, kind of pivoting, but still kind of like been in the performance realm, uh, for quite a while. Do you have kind of, do you envision yourself doing anything specific? You know, it's kind of, I'm super open-minded, honestly, Jeff, and I'm I'm pretty open-minded, but I would really love to be involved in the podcast world and, um, contributing to like a sports driven podcast in some capacity, even as just a, a side hustle or something like a passion project. So, um, but for employment, I'm pretty open-minded. Yeah. I, uh, that's what, that's one thing I I was telling Tim last week is that's what I've taken from this program is just how many doors you can open. You don't have to just focus on being the person who's talking into the microphone. Like it's you true. can be an audio engineer, producer, director of some sort. So there's a lot of avenues you can go down, which is what I've really, uh, accepted from this program so it's like i had this thing of like oh i want to host a radio show but it's like maybe that's not maybe something is better suited for me like who knows maybe i'm like a booking agent for a radio show and like something like that like it's never know what you're gonna have like uh we're gonna have like a few different avenues that we're exactly um to make it all work after which is exciting it's unique yeah so you said you're in uh, music. When did you start that and what kind of got you into that? 
Oh man, I, I started playing guitar when I was probably eight or nine and I've been into music my whole life. My degree is in music. I went to the University of Calgary and uh, got a Bachelor of Music. I majored in performance. So um, I've been in the classical guitar world. Um, I've done a lot of weddings and um, recitals and master classes in the classical world. And then I've also played in a couple bands, the Modern Traditional and Harbors and Half Steps. So I've done a lot of like gigs um, playing with uh, like a two buddies from Calgary. And we're like a oh, small piece. Um, and then uh, have also just done a bunch of other kind of performing on my own as a singer songwriter uh, over the years. Um, so yeah, all that kind of accumulated to me flying with WestJet and then COVID struck. And now I'm re- reinvesting in the arts and that's why I'm here. That's awesome, man. Do you have any sort of artists that you kind of emulate your style after? Like, That's a really good question, man. I, and I get asked that a lot and I find it's hard to draw parallels yeah. um, to other artists because I like to think that I draw on so many different avenues. And the buddy, another buddy in the band I went to university with, I met him in the program. So we try and draw some of the kind of instrumental and finger picking style of the classical world into like modern kind of alternative folk. So okay. we're trying to put our own spin on, on like our own on folk, so to speak. But for me, biggest influences would have been like Eric Clapton, um, actually like John Frusciante of the Chili Peppers is one of my favorite guitarists because he's just so nuanced. Um, Matt Good for a singer songwriter is a huge influence of mine. Um, I could go on and on. We could do a whole episode <laughs> on music. <laughs> Man, that's that's awesome. Like music's a very interesting thing, is because there's so many different ways that you can give off a feeling or emotion, and that's one thing that's really cool about it. It's so true, man. Like there's only so many mo- notes in the musical. Um, like repertoire and we're still writing new music all the time. It's a fascinating phenomenon. There are only the same notes present, but um, we are all capable of rearranging it in our own way. It's pretty cool. Do you have any gigs or that you've done that kind of stand out to you? Like, Oh, this, this was a good one that. Oh boy. Um, I had a, we would have had a bunch as a band back in Calgary when we were first, like just out of university yeah, um, and we were playing like the Palomino, and we were opening for some cool bands, and we were just in a good groove then. Um, and there was just a lot of good shows, um, and like our producer had a band, and there was just like an awesome community that we were a part of for a couple years in there. And I think I highlight like that time as kind of like the best performance time. And then, as like many bands, it's hard to keep it up, right? Like life and schedules. So, so we left it alone for a long time. And now we're back as like a virtual project kind of writing and recording again, which is cool. That's awesome. Is there, was there any ones that were like, ah, oh, that, that could have gone better. Like <laughs> the- I've had a couple of those for sure. Um, I think more so you mean with the band or on my, as a, on my own. 
either or it could just been like oh the crowd kind of fell flat they weren't as like electric as i thought they were going to be yeah definitely um i can think of a couple as a classical guitarist in particular because those are such hard gigs to do you're just yeah. up there on your own on an island and if things start going sideways um it's so challenging to get back on track because you have no one else like you don't have a drummer or a bass player or someone else to kind of get you out of your funk. So I've yeah. definitely had a couple performances and master classes that just were kind of train wrecks, but you just, you just, if it gets off the tracks to a certain point, um, there's just no bringing it back. So sometimes yeah. that happens. <laughs> but those have been few and far between, thankfully. <laughs> yeah. You just got to power through. Yeah. Got, that's like, that's like if I were to bring someone on and they're, they kept their answers to like a few words and it's like, gotta give me something man i gotta i gotta bounce something <laughs> but i need the dough a little bit here yeah exactly <laughs> man but yeah that's uh that's awesome man it's cool seeing uh people kind of try out something and like taking the next step in their craft that they've done been doing for so long it's cool seeing like people try out different things so that's sure. uh that's cool. How was it growing up in or like living in Calgary and like Winnipeg and stuff? Was it is it much different than over here? Yeah, no, obviously winters were different. Um oh, yeah, but, the winters uh, are unbelievable. Um, but you know, uh grew up with the outdoor rink, like the ODR culture in Calgary, big time, just with my buddies with you know, like the Chinooks kind of wreak havoc at times on the ice quality in that city, but overall lots of good just like time with the boys after I had finished kind of playing uh, recreational hockey and everything, just like keep it on the skates uh, in the winter time casually. Um, that definitely stands out. I was only in Winnipeg for a cu uh, couple years. So it was a pretty short stint. So most of my life I've been in Calgary. So growing up, it was Jerome McGinley, man. Like he was oh, the guy, my God. Um, you know, they had the Calgary had some tough rosters in the feaster era and stuff, but um, again, was the man, you know, and, uh, so it was great. It was a, it was a hockey city. I really felt like, and a lacrosse city too, because I played lacrosse growing up. Um, my dad is still involved in lacrosse. Um, so, uh, the roughnecks, uh, come into town, it, they're a niche market, but, uh, was a big, uh, lacrosse content, uh, follower as well. I just need to search. Okay. Yeah. So. Jerome McGinley, my like that guy is one of my favorite players ever. Like it's his style. Like he was the purest power forward I think the NHL's ever had. He's a guy who can score, hit, fight, anything you need, he can yeah. do. Yeah. And my dad always revisits this story, and it's such an awesome one. And it was how Calgary got Aginla. Right? Okay. Yeah. 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 From right? Dallas. He, yeah, from Dallas. He was just a prospect. Just, yeah. I think, where was he playing? Up in like Kelowna or something? Like Kelowna Rockets? Yeah, I think so. And mistaken, but and my dad was saying like uh, the GM at the time for Calgary traded Joe Newendike just coming off a 50-goal season. Yeah. And they were like, yeah, we're uh, getting this prospect, Jerome McGinley. And apparently everyone was like, what are you doing? Like, yeah. you're trading one of the best goal scorers that we've ever had that might ever play, Joe Newendike. He's consistent 50 goal scorer and you're yeah. him for a prospect who hasn't proven anything yet. Yeah. And the GM was just like, 
trust me on this. Like this is, it's going to be worth it. And then he, he's probably the greatest. He's the greatest Calgary flame of all time. Yeah. He's and he's a Hall of Famer. Yeah. That's a remarkable thing. And a, gutsy move so uh, gutsy so many gms that have tried to do that and they thought they've identified a player and it does not go according to plan so yeah i mean again is a huge success story in that sense trading a proven asset for like someone you've identified and it panning out in like the best way possible <laughs> yeah and it, and the thing is is like joe newendike his success didn't stop in calgary like he no. still went on and he still yeah, was an amazing player. So it just it was like this again. The guy better pan out to totally. be what you expected him to be. And man, I think again exceeded all expectations. If I'm being honest, totally, man. Yeah, and like I think again, when I think he scored so many goals, but as like a kid growing up in that city, I think of some of his scraps, right? Like when yeah. he bought Darian Hatcher, yeah, you know, in the second round that year. That's a those are iconic fights that lift your whole team, your fan base. That's your captain. I mean, he was just that guy. It was so hard not to be an again the fan. So yeah, just had to touch on that. His scraps, he was oh my gosh, he threw bombs. He threw <laughs> oh, bombs. Yeah, a good fighter. <laughs> I, one of the best memories was 2010, Team Canada, yeah. the pass from the Ooh. sideboards. Absolutely. Iggy, the golden goal, yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's that's a play that I don't think gets talked about enough. Yeah, the Crosby goal gets talked about, but I don't think people talk about that pass as much as they should. Totally, no, I agree wholeheartedly, and I think you ask a lot of Canadians who set up that goal, and I don't know, maybe most, maybe hockey guys would know, but you're right, it was such a great play, and again, little Crosby, and yeah, he's kind of everyone's going to remember the goal scorer, I guess. Yeah, there, but such a brilliant play, and it just epitomizes his play: selfless, right place, right time. He wasn't shooting the puck this time, but still, just a great, great play. Yeah, it was it was quite unbelievable. Were you a big, obviously a big Calgary guy around 2004 when they went to the final? Oh yeah, and the city was—I'll never forget the vibe of the city and the Red Mile. And I mean, I was pretty young at that point still, but we were going out down to the red mile. Um, it was super exciting, man. Like, yeah, never forget that. Um, that whole spring was pretty electric and, uh, yeah, just getting together with friends to watch the game and then going out after down to the red mile and stuff. It was just, um, tough to put into words. Just, it's so cool when it's like a city catches the wave like that. Yeah. Um, and it never really happened again. Um, when, you know, I was there. So it's so rare. So it's cool when it happens. I think Calgary got robbed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. All my friends would agree with you. Yes. <laughs> that, puck, that puck crossed the goal line, man. Yeah, it's crazy. I think, um, yes, I think it, with modern technology and everything, if that play happened again, yeah, I think uh may have been different, but. That's it's just so unfortunate because man, like that was it, that was their year. Yeah. And it's that Cinderella story right to the very end, right? Yeah, and yeah it's too bad. But it uh, is too bad. That was like when the Canucks went in 2011. Yep. Man, like when 
BX is obviously everyone knows Burrow scoring the goal to slay the dragon against Chicago. That was one of the greatest, probably the greatest goal that of all time for the Canucks. Like yeah. it has to be number one. But when BX is scored to send us to the finals, man, I was like, <laughs> yo, like we're playing for the Stanley Cup. Like I would I never thought this was gonna happen. I was like, I just kept looking to my dad. I was like, I was speechless. I was like, yeah. yo, we're we're going, we're playing for the Stanley Cup. And he's seen them go the past couple times in like 82 and 94. Yeah. But I was like, I like I can't believe it. Like this is unbelievable. And man, yeah. I thought we had that was our year, man. Yeah, same that was our year. similarities, right? Where it's the chemistry was right, the room was right. Everything, you know, you some good luck, some hard work, and you push all the way, and it's just not quite enough. And yeah. it's so hard to be on the losing side of that as a fan, right? And someone's gotta lose. Um, but yeah, it's so difficult. And uh, yeah, there's a lot of similarities there between those two runs. I always, for like nostalgia effects, I'll like go back and watch the Stanley Cup run. And I will be smiling for three, two thirds of the video. But then like <laughs> when that last third hits, I realize like how it ends. And I'm like, I got to turn this off. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I just like, yeah, it's just, it's heartbreaking it's story, to this man. day. It's yeah. heartbreaking to this day. But anyways, uh, speaking of the NHL, we're going to talk about some latest news and headlines and stuff. The NHL, this is probably the biggest one. The NHL and the NHLPA have met up and basically agreed upon that the NHL players are not going to the Olympics. There's a 0% chance of it happening. Um, with the cases spiking and the situation over there in China, the protocols, all that, players don't seem for it to be worth it. What are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I think that's what uh, we're barreling towards for sure. Um, and my understanding is that the league can step in under that material damage or material impact clause and kibosh this um, if they had to. And with all the cancellations right now, I mean, that's pretty much what that's there for. And I can see them exercising that and uh, doing that pretty much right away. I think that both sides are going to be on the same page um, in uh, skipping the Olympics, which is, a, you know, a shame in a sense, but I think it's just what's going to happen at this point. I think it's the right thing to do. But as a fan, I selfishly want them to go because this basically tells me we'll never see Crosby, McDavid, Stamkos play together. Price yeah. won't get another chance in the Olympics. Like, yeah, the fact we'll never get to see Crosby and McDavid play together. Stamkos never got a shot in the Olympics because he was just left off the 2010 roster, broke his leg just before yeah. 2014. NHL didn't go in 2018, and now it just isn't happening this time around again. And it's just, it's pretty heartbreaking. Yeah. Um, it's pretty easy to get excited about team Canada's projected roster, looking at that blend of the, you know, experience that Canada has. And then this crop of youth that's 
so dynamic. It's uh, it's a real shame. And, you know, even I think, I think back to that uh, Tavares injury. And I think that was the moment where just everything changed with the perspective of the players going to the Olympics. And, yeah. you know, it's like before that injury, it was like the grass was greener, you know, it just, there wasn't that concern. There hasn't, there hadn't been that issue yet. And we'll probably just never get back to that, that vibe, um, especially with how this is all going. So it's, it's a real shame. Yeah. I didn't even think about that until you just said it now, like Tavares getting hurt in 2014. That was a big, that's kind of when the conversation started happening of like, is yeah. this like, that's when owners kind of got a lot more skeptical of like, yeah, if I'm in the midst of a playoff run and I'm trying to make the playoffs and McDavid goes knee to knee with someone and gets hurt and he's out for the season. It's a big deal. And it I is a huge deal. But I want to say at that point, the Islanders were a bubble playoff team. I want to say Garth Snow was in charge and he was pretty outspoken about how their chances were now significantly impacted, right? Because of this. Yeah. And I think that was for me, at least that was when the GMs kind of changed their tune and it, you know, created that kind of conflict going forward. Um, yeah. But I think it just kind of, it's never been the same since then really with uh, being on the same page. Right. Yeah. It's yeah. That's a, that's a very good point. Cause I kind of thought like straight off the top of my head, I was like, Oh, it was just like they kind of slowly just developed that idea out of nowhere. Just like one owner said it and like it's almost like the owners didn't want to be the first to say it. But as soon as one person said it, they all got on board kind of thing. Yeah, And I thought that's kind of where it stemmed from. But then when you bring up the Tavares injury, it all kind of makes sense because I remember it's snowballing from that. And I think it was neat, you know, all it took was that to happen to one franchise and that one GM to start mumbling and say, Hey, this could be you, uh, you know, at the next GM meeting. And I think it just sparked that kind of, uh, we don't owe the IOC in the Olympics, anything. And it's hurting the NHL's product to have their best players leave and go and do that. And it kind of just that business conflict all kind of stemmed from that, in my opinion. Do you think if this is happening in like say Europe or somewhere amongst North America, the Olympics happen? That is a really good question. Um, boy, oh boy, Jevin, that's a good question. I haven't given that much thought, but I think the probability would have to increase. I mean, the IOC kind of took a low hanging fruit almost right. Taking having the games in, in China and, you know, we all know the IOC doesn't, you know, play by the most highest and tightest of rules. So I don't know. I think it's, uh, I think it would be a different conversation, a hundred percent, especially if it were in um, the States or, or Europe. Um, but I think the end result would probably be the same just with how the current, with the current context. But I think there'd be a lot more healthy debate um, if it were going to be on a more kind of closer to, to home for some of these professionals. Yeah. Cause you see like everything going on in China right now and I'm not like bashing them, but I mean, it's not the greatest place to be at the moment. There's a and, lot of conflict, a lot of issues. Yeah. There's a lot of issues going on over there and the protocols over there, I think would be, are a lot more harsh than 
it would be over here, man. And like, I'm just saying that's all speculation, but I think if it's over in North America or Europe, I don't think the protocols are going to be five weeks quarantine. Yeah. If you get it, I think it's just going to be the 10 to 14 if you're fully vaccinated kind of thing. And yeah, no, that's, I, I mean, like that's my speculation. So I think the three to five week quarantine played a massive part in it because say Vic David test positive right before the gold medal game, right before they're set to come home and he's out for four weeks, he's stuck over there in China and he can't play for Edmonton when they're trying to make the playoffs. A huge deal. So and you try to equate it to John yeah. Tavares. Yeah. One player coming back and missing time. This would be possibly a bunch of team star players on the yeah. shelf. Cause when you think about it, the Olympics, all of these players are like the franchise players for their respective teams. It's not like a scrub fourth liner where who is easily replaceable yeah. is being sent over. It's like everyone's first, second liners are being sent over. So it's like every team is being severely impacted if any player misses time, whether it's injury or COVID related illness. So, 100%. It's, yeah, it's a lot more big of a deal. I personally think that this happens if it's over in North America. Yeah, interesting. Um, I, I personally think just the risk is a lot lower. And I think, I think it's a completely different story because they were still confident they were going until they heard the five weeks, three to five weeks quarantine if you test yeah. positive. Yeah. And when you're traveling overseas, testing positive is a lot easier than people think it is. Like, yeah, you can stay as safe as you can, but when you're traveling and over in a country where you don't know what's necessarily going on in terms of how safe they're being, anything could happen. So you're definitely risking it. But if it's over in the States or Canada or, yeah, who knows? I think it's... Well, I agree, man. I think it's I think different. We know with Gary Bettman, too, that he's he's most he's a businessman and a lawyer first. And he's going to be most concerned about how is this impacting the, the product, right? And I think yeah. it's be, being played in Europe or in um, Canada or, or the States, better chance of that having a a positive impact on the NHL's product, right? Greater viewership. You know, you don't have the time zone conflicts the same. Uh, I think there'd be a lot more positives for them to work off of. Um, but I think with like, what you were just alluding to with all of these star players and if something went sideways, just that um, the potential damage to the NHL's product, if something went wrong, I think is just too great for them to proceed. And maybe that would be the case if it were in a better spot or maybe not, but that's an interesting debate. Yeah, it's obviously it's might be a waste of time to even talk about it because we just know it's not even like possible, but it's just something to like think about in terms of like the if ands or buts, like the totally. what if you can play the what if game, like what if this was in I don't know, like Colorado instead, like yeah, in exactly. Denver and mile high or like Minnesota where totally. it's, it's definitely something to think about, but I think as a fan, it's hard not to take yourself there. Cause we want that, like our national team, it would be so, I think we, we need that remedy yeah. kind of right to have like, to have that sense of nationalization. Everyone would watch those Canadian hockey games. They're such 
such a huge like national unity thing it's really too bad so yeah, yeah it, it it sucks a lot man yeah because <laughs> i was looking forward to seeing like crosby mcdavid mckinnon point stamkos mccarr like, bro matthews yeah like adam fox charlie mcavoy some of the names like, that would be left off the roster um like every time there's recruitment for team Canada, but it feels like this time in particular, you look at some of that cutoff point and some of the names. Yeah. Like Matt Barzell, Bo Horvat are scraping for a spot and they would make, they'd be any other team's first line <laughs> yeah. players. Yeah. It's, it's wow. Yeah. yeah. Tough thought to get super excited, but alas. Yeah. It's, it sucks, man. I was looking forward to it hard. As soon as I saw like they were like, yeah, we're going to the Olympics. I was like, let's go. Let's go. Yeah. NHL teams like fired up, started me. I made like two different teams to like potential and now it's just not happening. Anymore. Yeah. And the players seemed really excited about it too, which was wicked. And <laughs> um, it's been deflated. Right. Did you hear Stamkos's quote on it? it he said, it he's like, if, I, if I'm given the opportunity, I'm going. I'm going. And, I, and yeah. I was like, that makes sense because he's missed three teams that he could have made. Yeah. All because of one was he was just left off the team because it was like what two years after he was drafted 2010 yeah. so it was like it's tough to make team canada at that time 2014 breaks his leg yeah right, like a few months like what like six months maybe prior to the olympics happening and he yeah. just like i think they put him on the team but they were like if he's healthy yeah i remember that yeah and, question mark and you know he's got he's a champion now Right. Yeah. Um, but that's probably last his bucket list. That's probably the last item. Right. And he's, it's just, you feel for a guy who can't check that box when he, he would have made those rosters. So yeah. yeah, that's tough. Very tough, but we'll, uh, we'll move on to something related to a team that you follow pretty close. Paul Maurice, uh, resigns as Winnipeg head coach. And this was definitely something that caught me off guard for sure. And um, yeah, he coached from 2013 to 2021. He had a record of 302, 213, and 57 uh, with 572 games coached for Winnipeg. And the quotes, man, like he is one of the most respected coaches in the league. Yeah. And to see him yeah. resign was something I was just not expecting. No, for sure, man. And I think it's, to me, it's a tip of the cap kind of to a coach like Paul Maurice. And I think it'll feed his good reputation in a sense, because I think he's uh, a man who kind of understood that there's a window to win and he missed his and the team, like the jets had some really good rosters. Um, just wasn't quite enough right in that super competitive um, Western conference. And I think he just knew that uh, his window, he had missed that window and he was doing it on his own terms and they're under, they're underachieving this year a little bit, you know, the Jets, they have a really talented roster. They probably should be performing better than they are on the ice right now. Yeah. I think he was getting in front of it. And I think it's an admirable move in a sense, right? Because uh, a lot of coaches wouldn't have done that. I don't think, um, cause I do believe he's still thinking in the best interest of the team. 
uh, and he wants the team to succeed and it might be time to do it without him. Yeah. I mean, like I'm paraphrasing with this coach, uh, with this quote here from him, but he's like, I truly love these guys. I think that they, like he's saying, like, I still think I'm a very good coach, but for this team, I think it's time that they need a new voice. Um, yeah. And like he said, he's like, you can only push a rock uphill for so long until you just can't push it any farther. And I think that's the point that I've gotten to. And for a coach to have that honesty and that accountability, but like not blaming anyone else, he just said like, it's time. Like I've done as much as I possibly could and they can't go any further with me. And for a coach to like realize that, yeah, I think it was a long way and makes your name even higher on other teams boards to bring you in as a coach because coaches nowadays are stubborn. They still think that yeah. they're the guy that can push and they're not leaving until they get fired. That's true. But like for him to have that is like, it's a good quality to have. And I think the guys will still respect him and, and the locker room will be sad to see him go. And this is just my opinion. But I think it kind of coincides with Wheeler going down long term. Like if anyone who followed the Jets, like Wheeler has been his guy, you know, and I think it's kind of like he's with Wheeler going down for a long time now and the team where it's at. I think that may have been the final thing because I think that was the voice in the room that was really pushing his message further. And Wheeler's been a really good captain. So Losing Blake, it probably just felt like if this was the proper offshoot for Paul, and we'll see what happens. Yeah, I think he he's gonna get a job, maybe even before the season ends. But in the off season, like I think he's gonna be a, a lot of teams like, yeah, let's go after him if he's Absolutely. obviously willing to or wanting to come back. But I don't see why he if he still thinks he's a good coach and has more to give, then why not? man the name like, value you know yeah. he's got name recognition and he's got a great resume and uh he did a great job with the jets it was just you see it all the time where good teams they they just don't quite do it they can't quite hit that window i think of the of the blue jays um with those two awesome rosters they had and they just didn't quite have the juice to get it done and that window yeah. closes and that's kind of what happened to the Jets here. So they're in a bit of a transition now. Yeah, I um, I agree. How do you think they finish um, rest of the season on? I don't know where they sit in the standings, but I think they're about middle of the pack in the central right now. I think that but, kind of lives and breathes with Hellebuck. And if Connor Hellebuck can get his game right, I think that is really going to be uh, the the catalyst there for better or for worse. Um, Cause I think they lean on him a lot even with their style of play and uh, they need him to have some better peripheral numbers and they'll probably start finding the wind column a little bit more, but I think it comes down to, uh, to Connor. Yeah, I agree. He's like the anchor to that team and like the back. Right. If with it, they need him to be the guy going forward. Yeah, I completely agree. Yeah. Winnipeg is sitting at fifth in the central right now. So about middle of the pack and there's seven points out of first. Um, so I wouldn't like, I Winnipeg's always been a team that I've respected 
Because, I mean, like, just think, they have one of the best lines in hockey, in my opinion. Or this season's been kind of a one-off, but Wheeler, Shifley, and Connor yep. is Formidable. unbelievable. Yeah. And to have Ehlers as a second-line player and then, like, playing with Dubois, man, like, they're seriously, like, a respectable team. And they have a top-three goalie in the league. Their defense is a bit thin, but I mean, yeah. Neil Pionk's good, but they've kind of beefed it up a bit with Dylan Schmidt. Morrissey's yep. playing better. Yeah, Morrissey's so, solid. So Winnipeg's always been a team that I've really had respect for. And I'm like, if any team can turn it around, it's this team right here because they have they have the pieces to. It's just I a agree. matter of can they do it? And the slow start from Shifley and Wheeler certainly didn't help them. Because if they were playing the way they usually play, with the start that Connor had, man, that team could be sitting at the top of the league right now. Hundred percent, and I think their game style like fits playoff hockey that mold really well. Yeah, you know, like um, I think they're and you alluded to it. Their Achilles heel is that defensive line just being a little too thin when they want to play that defensive style because they lean even heavier on their tendy, right? So yeah, I think that's um, and they tried to address that, like you said, in the off season with some acquisitions, but I think that blue line depth is just that one piece that's really been kind of extra exposed with Connor not being at just like the top of his game. Yeah. Do you think the thin defense on Winnipeg makes Connor as uh, like Hellebuck as good as he is because he, the, I obviously it's not something you want to rely on, but do you think like, the thin defense and keeping Connor in the game is what makes him as good as he is. I do think there's an element of, of that to his game. I think you're dead on there where he wants to see the puck a lot. He wants to feel the puck a lot. And that definitely plays into that with where he is. Um, even from a fantasy hockey perspective, it uh, it's like a benefit to him. Yeah. That, you know, he sees that kind of volume. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, um, you know, I wonder if down like in the long run, especially in a playoff run, I think you need that that defensive line to step up when your goalie's having an off night, right? Because yeah, exactly it's bound to happen. And and that's I think has just hasn't been the case for Winnipeg. And they just don't have that horse on the back end who can get them out of a pinch if their goalies just haven't just uh, not his best night. Yeah, I uh, I totally agree, for sure. But yeah, he, we'll see him in the league by at least next season, if not for a team to kind of. I think it might be a bit too late to make a coaching change. In my opinion, I think every team either has like their staff for the rest of the season all figured out. Because if you're a team that isn't contending, then why make changes now when you're nowhere clear to clear to contending? But if you are contending, then why make a coaching change at all? So yeah. I think we'll see him in the league next year. Yeah, I agree. Um, and it's just a matter of maybe Philadelphia. Yeah. Maybe a team that like needs to slightly get over the ropes. Like if Jim Rutherford say hire for the Canucks, hires a new GM, he doesn't necessarily like Boudreaux. Maybe right. Boudreaux isn't his guy. Maybe he wants Paul Maurice. Because I think Boudreaux has like an option next year. Like I don't think next year is guaranteed. So we'll see, man. We'll see Paul Maurice behind a bench next year. And I think the league's better with him in it. 
Yeah, I think there will be a lot of calls coming his way just to see where he's at. And I yeah. think there will be a lot of uh, franchises looking at their head coach and just saying, what's the comparison right now? Um, I agree wholeheartedly. He'll be working again as long as he wants to. Yeah, for sure. I think he's the media's favorite coach because he's, he's the media. He's great with the media. He, that's he, one of his biggest strengths. He really doesn't pick fights. Well, he'll pick fights with the media and defend his players in the right spots. And yeah. He's really brilliant at that. So that's a strong point of his for sure. He's honest without being like arrogant and like an asshole. Totally. And he'll risk, he'll answer the question. Um, like he respects their job. Like he's just, he's, he's well-rounded yeah. that way. and he gave good pressers all yeah. the time, his whole time in Winnipeg. So yeah. And he gave unbelievable sound bites too. Some, yeah. <laughs> that, some that would just like make everyone laugh, but yeah, he would say like, look, I, I respect that you guys have to ask these questions, but right now I'm not answering them. And me would be like, Cool. Instead of other coaches being like, that's a dumb question. Why do you have a job? Yeah. And like, with like, go toe to toe with them. Yeah. And if it wasn't for other cameras being around, would literally like draw fisticuffs with reporters. But Paul Maurice always kept it short and straight, honest, and the media loved him. So I think that even opens the door even more for him to get hired. Well, he can be, he can get hired in a tough market and hold his own. He's not going to get overwhelmed. He's coaching Toronto and Winnipeg, and those yeah. are two Canadian markets that are very passionate about their team. So, 100%. but more uh, COVID issues and stuff. Uh, just some little announcements here: cross-border games have been postponed through the holiday break and could push to, I believe, January seventh. Now, Winnipeg and Detroit. No, not Winnipeg and Minnesota are set to play the Winter Classic. This New Year's Day, does that still happen? It certainly sounds like the league is pretty set on making that happen. I feel like they've invested a lot. They make they would lose too much money if that didn't happen. I think they're going to find a way from just like a business perspective to make that work. And I've, I mean, I know there have been some opinions of why not just shut those teams down proactively um, and ensure that that game happens um, is one avenue they could take if they were really serious about it um, and make sure that everyone can follow the policies and get down there and, and play that game. But uh, my money's on it going up, going, you know, yeah, that's what I think will happen. Yeah. I think it's still uh, going to happen, but they'll have to pull some strings uh, and I'm For curious sure. what their angle is going to be, but I think that'll still uh, go forward. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. The NHL and NHLPA have announced new protocol measures, basically just enhanced measures on indoor gatherings, eating, just like more separation between players, some ref mandates, all that. Basically the same protocols they had in place, just a bit more enhanced or ones that they got rid of. Like, okay, like don't have to be a separated while eating with the team kind of thing. Like, yeah. They've gone from in-person media to over Zoom. They've gone back to that. They've, yeah, so they've done a whole bunch of uh, those uh, measures. have already been taking place. But, I mean, like, the document was, like, full. And I'm, I'm not going to bore everyone by reading every single well, one. Here we go again, right? Yeah, it's, exactly. We're yeah. back to back to square one, basically. Yeah. But a total of 42 games have been postponed in the past bit, which is going to be interesting for the new year about how they're going to 
make all those work. Yeah, but, well, the fantasy hockey matchups have become an absolute crap shoot. Unbelievable. <laughs> it's it's, it's going to be wild. It's so, going to be crazy. Yeah. Um, but I mean, we've been there before, so yeah. we've been we've been there before. Some devastating news. Um, I'm, I sent you this hit. You've seen it. Tanner Kiro, uh, forgive me if I pronounce his name wrong there. He left the game on a stretcher after a hit from uh, Brian Connolly. Yeah. Brian Connolly. Uh, Connolly was assessed a five and a game for interference. That hit was, that, in my opinion, that was bad. It was a bad hit. He's, uh, he's not looking at what the puck is doing. At all. Uh, at all. Um, and like, if you look at it up that he's going to smear that guy yeah, a long time ago. Right. So that's the kind of hit the league doesn't want. And yeah, when you see a puck, when you see the replay, it's so clearly he's just ringing it and the, he's just, the puck is sitting up by the glass when it's being rung around, like as a winger. And that's, you know, playing wing. I hated when that puck would be rung up the boards like that, right? Because you just don't know if you're going to be smoked turning the corner and that's puck isn't even playable. So there's yeah. no, you know, that winger shouldn't be getting creamed like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a bad hit. And I saw he got four games, I think, right. He got four games. Suspi, I want to say. I didn't see any notification about that, but I could have totally missed it. I, maybe that was just a quote. I don't know if it was like a formal Suspi yet, but I think, um, one way or another, he's getting suspended and uh, rightfully so. That's just not a good hit. And yeah, his mind was made up to trolley track Kiro far, far before. He didn't keep his eye on how that play was developing. So that's not what they want. Yeah, he was suspended for four games for the four hit, games. which I think is respectable. Like, I don't like, I think it was a history. Yeah, like. But I just think, I mean, Kiro didn't put himself in the best spot if he did receive the puck because he's turning back and with his head down, which, I mean, isn't the best position to put yourself in. But True. Connolly has no reason to trolley track him like that. When, yeah, yeah. Like, even if Kiro, because it was like such a bang-bang play and the timing of it, you don't even know if you would have got the puck by the time he was hit. So I think, like, regardless, like, Kira wasn't given a chance on that. And like you said, Connolly definitely had his mind made up. Premeditated, right? I think yeah. that's the thing that the league doesn't want to see, right? You're not evaluating yeah. things as it's as they're happening. Um, and, yeah, huge player safety issue, right? Compromised player, pucks nowhere. You just want the puck. If that puck was on the ice, the unfortunate reality is, if that puck had been delivered like tape to tape and it was right there and and Connolly had timed that properly it's a different conversation it's still not a good play but the fact that it's rung and it's unplayable makes it just uh it's just yeah. it's just yeah. not the puck's basically sitting up on the ledge exactly like, being... like, yeah no <laughs> one's getting that puck right it's no uh, uh, so yeah it's a bad play yeah it was uh yeah i think four games is respectable just because i mean like Left on a stretch, I, I think he's conscious, awake, moving well, 
um, just at home in stuff. Yeah, I got stretched off. Scary incident, but I believe Kiro's okay, and I think he's just like in concussion protocol. And yeah, that's good to hear. Just basically all safety measures that can possibly be taken is what's happening with Kiro. But I believe he's conscious. I don't think there's any like severe injury, yeah. which just, is good. yeah, which is very uh, good to see after being stretched off. It's nothing. You ever want to see? You never want to see it, and as we know, unfortunately, sometimes it does seem like that plays into the player safety's decision-making process. It shouldn't, but anytime there is an injury on a play like that, there's going to be a suspension, and that's good. But you want to see them on the plays that there isn't an injury too, because we've seen those happen sometimes. Yeah, for sure. But Stevie, Y, his uh, comments regarding uh, testing amongst players without symptoms. What were your thoughts on these uh, comments and his presser about how NHL is kind of handling the testing and protocols and stuff? I think there's lots of, I think he's not alone in sharing some of those sentiments about the process. Um, Certainly seeing the NFL kind of pivot their policies uh, with testing um, to follow more of the kind of what the guidelines that Stevie was talking about uh, fuels that fire a little bit. Um, I think really we should be listening to those people in a sense, because they're the ones uh, going through this process all the time. And we want it to be efficient and we want these players to be safe. Um, I don't know what the right answer is, but um, there seems to be some logic to that train of thought in, uh, and in how the league is kind of handling these, these testing procedures. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a funny or like a funky line to ride on. Totally. It's like, I understand the NHL testing just to make sure there's no spread, but also like if you're so focused on people getting the vaccine, then like, are we making any progress here? If like, it's just such a hard thing to judge. And because safety measures is obviously number one, but you're kind of going against your own point that you made at the start of the season. Totally. Like our goal is to get hundred percent vaccinated. And it's like, here okay. we are. There's what one player, not vaccinated One player, not vaccinated. And we have 42 games postponed. Yeah. It's wild. Like it's yeah. It's something I don't necessarily have a solution for, but it's like, I feel like, if we don't like if if we keep treating this like this is the first month that we're dealing with covid then we're not going to make any progress after like we've been dealing we've been dealing with it for like almost 2 years now right it's true. so it's like we haven't it just seems like we haven't made any progress we thought we were but now we're back to like are we going to have to play playoff hockey in a bubble again yeah all like, those players things. don't want that well, and i understand like postponing games now and shutting down games going to Christmas break, holiday break, which is the right thing to do because people need to be with their families. Right. It's true. I think they could have shut it down like last week. Yeah. It was getting to that point where it was compromising the like competitive integrity of the game. Right. Like Carolina had so many players missing. I mean, those it's not even their true roster, right? Like too far removed. So yeah, I think shutting down is the right thing to do, but also like I 
I don't know. Like we're just not making any progress here. And I feel like we're just going to treat it like it's some, something a lot bigger than it is. Then this is going to be the new normal. And I don't think anybody wants that. No. And I was, uh, I was listening to the 32 thoughts podcast there with Friedman and they were saying how one thing that they've heard, and I'd be curious to know if this would ever come to fruition or if they'd think about it, but if it keeps going, going this way, but the goal is to get all 82 games in no matter what, do they do kind of a, a baseball series kind of approach where if two teams are healthy enough to play um, say Vancouver is going to travel just down to Seattle because those two teams are both healthy instead of just playing once they play three games. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's just a matter of like getting those games in and kind of totally scrapping the previous schedule kind of thing and just like getting them in however possible. It's wild to think about some of those solutions, but I think as a fan, I just want to continue to see the product, right? Like yeah. it's, so, it's kind of selfish, but as long as, they're safe and there's a like solution that suits everyone. I think they want players want to play and we want to see the product. So um, any way it works, <laughs> I'm open-minded to how I consume the content going forward. <laughs> no, totally. Um, yeah. It's I, uh, I brought that up the baseball series style and it's definitely something to monitor or at least think about in the back yeah. of your head. I think it'd be kind of cool. And actually, honestly, Jevin, I think it would increase some of that like sense of rivalry where that third time you play that team and you've seen that same face across from you on the faceoff circle, that fourth game, I think it's going to lead to some good hockey. Um, So I'm not opposed to that at all. (laughs) Well, yeah, you like you got a sense of that last year when it was just the Canadian division and they, teams were playing each other nine times totally. that year. Yeah. And you got that sense of like, by the seventh time, it's like, Hey, I hate this team more than anything. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> you definitely got a sense of that for sure. And, and rivalry is good. I yeah. love rivalry. Fights so were breaking real. Fights were breaking out a lot more. It was, yeah. yeah. So that rivalry definitely is a thing. Like it definitely does take a leap. And escalate yeah. a lot more than prior matchups for sure. Like game one is a hell of a lot different than game nine. A hundred percent. Like last year, like game nine was like, hey, there's a chance that no players come out of here alive. <laughs> Whereas game yeah. one was like, okay, yeah. let's just play and see what happens. Yeah. yeah. It's so, true. It's like a little playoff series, right? It's yeah. and I love that about baseball too, where you, you gotta win, gotta win your series, right? Or better yet get the broom out but it almost you're you're in that mini tournament mode each time you go to a city which is kind of cool yeah for sure but that's uh all i got for the nhl right now is there anything else you wanted to touch on no that was good man yeah i think we hit on a lot there that's good yeah so uh let's talk some nfl so week 15 slate happened there's still games there's two games today and (laughs) two games tomorrow so it's kind of different with uh, it's pretty funky with all the postponed games and everything, but we'll talk about what's happened so far. So I want to start with my Patriots on Saturday Yeah, and they, uh, or no, do you know what? We'll start on Thursday with Casey sure. in LA. Sure. A uh, very looked at game for a lot of people, you know, Herbert Mahomes, 
like they're two obviously like high caliber players now and high profile players, especially Herbert. A long time. And with LA beating the Chargers this year, it's become more of a legitimate rivalry coming into play now because now the Chargers are a lot more seem a lot more legit because they've defeated what people call the juggernaut in the league in Kansas City. Chiefs edge them out in OT 34-28. That did you watch that overtime? Yeah. That overtime was like four pat four plays and like he Kelsey yeah. runs it in from like 35 yards out and he had such a great game. Oh my goodness. Yeah, it was it was unbelievable. But yeah, what do you think of this newfound rivalry with the two young studs facing off in Herbert and Mahomes? I, I love it and I think the NFL loves it. This is what they're gonna build on. They love these kind of two young stud quarterbacks, same division, two games each year. Um, we're gonna see a lot of primetime games with these two in the years coming forward. For and sure. that's okay. Um, because uh Justin Herbert's exciting. I really like what Herbs brings to the field. Um, and Mahomes, we've seen what he can do, and uh the Chiefs kind of seem to be getting their mojo back a little bit. So I, that was a brilliant game. It was a great just entertainment uh, product to be to be viewing, and I think we're going to get a lot more of that, of that between those two franchises going forward. Yeah, you could argue that these are the two faces of the league right now, or like for the future at least. A hundred percent, and I think they were really. <laughs> I think the league and even the fan base was really craving for someone to step up and kind of box with Kansas city in that division. Right. Cause the Raiders just can't do it. And the Broncos need a quarterback and it's uh, so it's, it's awesome that there's a team that's actually there stepping up that can go kind of pound for pound with Kansas city in those big games. It's uh, it's fun to see. For sure. I, I completely agree. I picked Herbert off waivers his rookie year. Nice. In fantasy. Nice. <laughs> yeah, he he had like one game he threw for like 300 yards and three touchdowns. And I was like, hey, waiver pickup, always free, pick him up right there. Didn't have to like put any money towards him. No, it, it was just a free agent pickup. That's brilliant, man. That's a league winning pickup. Yeah, it's uh, he's helped me out for sure. The dynasty league? Did you keep him? It's a dynasty league. Yeah, oh, that's sick, man. Yeah, I have got Mahomes in my dynasty league. I drafted him in like the fourth round of the rookie draft and like he rode the pine for a year and then he started ever since and he'll start for me forever (laughs) until he retires (laughs) for sure i want to move on to my patriots and colts because i'm a sad boy yeah fair man fair and i mean i i was high on the colts going into the season so seeing them do well now doesn't surprise me at all because i think they got a very well-rounded team i've always believed in taylor like he was yeah. people were saying he was the best runner and like best runner running back coming out of the draft, his draft year. Yeah. And I mean, Carson Wentz, he's playing under a coach that he played his best ball under yeah. Frank Reich. And Michael Pittman has proven he's a wide receiver number one. And up. their O line and defense is something I've their defense is respectable to keep them in games and uh, you can do any damage behind a good old line. So I've always believed in the Colts this year and yeah, the Patriots is just, it was, it sucked. It sucks seeing them lose. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, they're still first in their division. 
And but if I'm being honest, man, I think they're going to need to bring a lot more like power and just they're going to have to be a lot more dynamic if they're if they want to do good in the playoffs. Like, I'm sorry. I like. Well, I think he, it was the first time we've seen Mac Jones and the Patriots really play from behind from multiple possessions. Yeah. Behind. And actually, I thought Mac, I took Mac Jones in my dynasty league, by the way, late round pick. And I think he's got a lot of, I really like what I see yeah. out of him, um, but he's not the quarterback yet that you feel confident the ball's in his hands and you need to make a throw when it really counts, right? Because a lot of their wins have been more game script dependent and that's not a problem because they've got a great balanced roster. But uh, I think for them to take that next step, a little more development from their quarterback. They're young. This is rookie year. Um, so that he can make some of those throws in yeah. when it's crunch time and they can fall behind by a score or two and kind of have the confidence to, to throw their way back into the game if needed. Because we can see that if they can control the game script, the Patriots can win football games 100%. Yeah, I think I definitely think they need more pieces. I think they need a true legit number one wide receiver because I don't think they have they don't, like they don't have that this year. I don't think Aguilar. I don't think Myers is it. I don't think Nikhil Harry. I don't think Nikhil Harry's coming back <laughs> or ever started. <laughs> yeah, the, like I people were calling him a bust after his rookie year, and I was like, okay, easy. Like he had a leg injury. Yeah, and all that, and now he's just he's too slow. He's just not that good yeah he's finally like making some good catches but that was like i've seen him catch like three balls since he's gotten drafted like he just yeah. doesn't make the plays anymore and he's not a separator right yeah. I think mac mac jones needs someone like i'd love to like, yeah i think he would thrive with like a jalen waddle or someone like that who's just going to get open all the time and he can find underneath and all that stuff he just doesn't quite have that like super dynamic weapon um on the outside or in the slot right I was saying, like, we should attack Odell in the offseason because Odell likes being the guy. He likes getting the ball in his hands, and he can work on all levels of the field, and I think that would be prime for Mac Jones. But, yeah, I think I just think we need to get on a quicker start. We need to expand the offense a little bit. We're kind of a bit too predictable. And why are we handing the ball off to Bolden? Yeah third down plays when we have Stevenson there and Matt. So yeah, I think if the Patriots want to make a serious run. I always, I'll always believe in bill. I always will. Yeah. And believe in a good I'm defense. Not, yeah. I'm never going to count them out, but I really think that we need to be a lot less predictable and we need to be a bit more clutch in terms of catching the ball when we need to, to make plays and make teams pay and our red zone offense needs to do a lot better too. Cause we get down, we make the trips down there, but then we're always settling for field goals and we just yeah. can't have that happen anymore. So you're such a strong running team. It's yeah. almost counterintuitive that you don't thrive in the red zone. Right. Cause you think I know. you get down there and grind because but, I think we get too cute with it. Like we try yeah. these like end around plays or these yeah. pitches where it's like, let's just run it down their throat and just then not, yeah. throw like, don't throw a fade because those plays always scare me. Because oh, those know. are per, those are prime for interceptions. And if you've got like Mike Evans or you've got, you know, like DeAndre Hopkins or something. I don't like to see those plays either. They they scare the hell out of me. Yeah. And so like run a slant, run just like safe 
plays if you're going to throw it, but like, don't do these like end arounds or pitches or because yeah. like they just don't develop the same if you just like run it down their throat. You saw versus Buffalo, they ran it like what 49 times. So just and we won. Obviously, it was a snow yeah. game and Buffalo didn't bring their A game. That's for sure. Like, I'm not saying that at all, but run it down their throat. And yeah. no, I think I our, our red zone offense needs to be a much more efficient and Man, I just hope we can improve against enough, enough time for Buffalo next week because that's a huge game. It's a massive game. Yeah, that'll be a lot of fun. Big, big entertainment value there. Um, and, yeah, I mean, with the Bills just underachieving, I mean, that fan base, yeah, it's going to be – I'm pumped for that game. Yeah, it's it's going to be a good one for sure. Were there any other games that stood out to you? Because, obviously, I see, like, two here that are like eye-opening, oh, but I got to, I got to give a little love to my boys here. Keeping the saints playoff dreams alive with a big W last night, man. I was pretty pumped to see that. Uh, I've been following the saints forever since like Aaron Brooks was throwing the ball and Deuce McAllister was running the rock. So I've been following their product forever and it stings not having drew this year it hurts me every time i turn on the tv and see him on the panel and last night he's like on the panel and it's just wrong uh, yeah. but uh i was pumped to see the saints shut out brady and the bucks um the, i don't know if this i just i'm all, i'm a bias i'm a big fan um but i love to see that and the saints defense is very good and i think there's a lot of comparisons between the patriots and the saints cuz yeah the i defenses, agree good uh, offensive lines, um, good running games. Um, you know, the saints don't have enough wide receivers and the thing that hurts the most is now we're just one of those franchises that's looking for quarterback help. Cause Taysom Hill is, I mean, um, he made some good throws last night. He also missed some wide open throws. So he's just, he's not the long-term solution. So, uh, We'll keep grinding out. I hope we can make the playoffs and I'm just, you know, I always hope for the best, but we need a quarterback. So, uh, but I was I was thrilled thrilled to see the product last night. Yeah, because it's funny you say you're a Saints fan, because like good friend of the show, most recurring guest on the show, Hayden Barton, one of my basically a half brother to me. He's a massive Saints fan too. Oh, wicked! And <laughs> I don't know what it is about your damn team, but they just have Brady and the Bucks number. Yeah, they do. They just have their number, and mm-hmm. I don't know what it is. I'm never confident in seeing Brady play New Orleans because. He just can't get a win. Yeah. It's the well, weirdest yeah. thing. It, like <laughs> Saints, still, yeah. Saints could be playoffs. Saints could be winless. They could be 0-13. <laughs> and the Bucks could be undefeated. And yeah. I still would be hesitant to take the Bucks over yeah. New Orleans. Those divisional games, right? It's it's so weird. And I yeah. like like because Brady is still in the MVP race, in my opinion, but this definitely hurts his case because this is a huge game like yeah new orleans has always been tough but like you got to be able to this should have been a lock yes based on records based on repertoire reputation and all of the above based on everything locked up the south yeah prime time this should have been a lock but the damn who that saints who that nation they always come to play against this team. It's just so weird. It's so weird. Yeah. No, I love to see it, man. And, you know, seven and seven, 
you know, with no real guys, you guys are in the last wild card spot, yeah, man. man. Anything can a happen. Very reasonable yeah. schedule to finish it off. So yeah. I think there's a possibility we we win out. But and, um, and hey, if you guys play the Bucks in the playoffs, man, I never know. I'm definitely throwing money on your Saints, which yeah. might not be a good thing because any team I bet on seems to fucking lose. But <laughs> I don't know what it is. But well, I think if we can get into the dance, man, uh, get into I, the tournament, we'll see. Yeah. I just it's been a lot of heartbreak with Drew the last few years. Yeah. Um, so I'm just happy that we're in the hunt. I'm happy to see a competitive team this year because I really wasn't sure. I knew the defense would be strong, but um, we're in the thick of things, and that's what I want as a fan. I just uh, very curious what the offseason brings for New Orleans in the draft and and with Russell Wilson maybe being floating around and Aaron Rodgers might be floating around and I am uh I, I eagerly anticipate the offseason because uh I think something's gonna happen. Um Sean Payton wants to win again in New Orleans before he uh moves I, on. So I was texting Hayden last night because about the win and stuff, and I was like, an Odell signing and Russell Wilson trade, and you guys are Super Bowl contenders because even right now, if I were to face you guys in the playoffs, it's definitely you guys are definitely a team that I'm not taking lightly for sure. Cause I like that defense is unbelievable. And yeah, say Callaway's he's a game wrecker. Like he just he's one of those gadget players where if he just breaks off a 70 yard catch and run or he just blows by the cornerback and Taysom yeah. can hopefully hit him on target. Yeah. In stride. <laughs> just imagine. But no, like the Saints are definitely and Kamara, obviously, like how have we not said his name yet? But like Kamara is like, in my opinion, I think he is the best running back in the league just because he can do everything. He can do anything you want. He's a good runner of the football and he's been healthy. He's shown that he's been yeah. durable. So, yeah, I mean, obviously there's Jonathan Taylor, Derek Henry, Chris, Chris McCaffrey's played like six games since he signed his contract two years ago. So he just hasn't been durable, but Kamara's up there is one of the best running backs in the league. 100%. So anytime he's on the field, watch out. That was a wild thing about last night. I looked at my fantasy box score and he only racked up like 3.1 points. Like they somehow for the f- first time really this season, the Saints won without Alvin Kamara being a, really key cog in their game plan. And that was encouraging to see. Cause I was like, boy, he went down for a month and we lost every single game. So uh, it was nice to see us win one yeah. when he wasn't getting the ball every other play. <laughs> no, for sure. But uh, we, we have to talk about this one. Detroit. <laughs> doubling up Arizona. Uh, Jay Goff. 30 to 12 win. <laughs> I don't know if this says more about the Lions or more about the Cardinals, really. I mean, I thought I think the Lions, I've been, like Dan uh, Campbell was an assistant with the Saints for many, many years. So I've been kind of following his head coaching stint there with Detroit. And he's got like he's got those guys playing hard every week. Um, and you see how so, passionate he is. Like when they lose, like because they've lost heartbreakers this year. They have. And every single time he's like. I like it's almost becoming like a broken record. Like he's saying the same thing. And he's like, I don't know what to do anymore. Like, cause that like Baltimore needed a historical field goal kick to beat the lions. 
Yeah. And it's, it's like yeah. there's been so other, so many other games yeah. where they've been so close to a win, but it's just a last second touchdown has beat them. And he's like, yeah. he was crying at a press Our conference. City, yeah. yeah. He's like, these guys play so hard for me. I want, I love these guys so much, yeah. like everything above. And he's like, I just want to win. And yeah. I think now that they've gotten that win in like unbelievable fashion against Minnesota, yeah, I think yeah. now they're just that weight is off their shoulders. I think they may finally be building a culture there in Detroit yeah. that um, isn't going to, you know, lose games and get in its own way and find ways to lose, um, which is kind of cool to see because. Well, the NFL is going to schedule them for next Thanksgiving. So let's hope that uh, (laughs) they roster a decent team. But I think they are trending in the right direction. And like Swift is a dynamic player and, um, you know, they're heading in the right way. But anyway, getting back to it, I just don't know what to take from that game because the Lions have been playing hard. But I more look at the Cardinals and I just wonder – just wonder what version of the Cardinals show up because we've seen this team do this last year where they started so hot. Uh, Kyler gets a little banged up and they dwindle a little bit down the stretch. Now they've lost four or seven and I'll be curious to see what happens in that, that division with the Rams and the Cardinals and now the Niners playing really exceptional football. Um, it'll be a fun finish. It it definitely will. I think it says a lot more about the Lions just because I think they just played scrappy football and i just think arizona i think they played down to them and i think they just got behind too quick and then they just were scrambling and i heard this from a quote and my dad may have said this or it may have been like tony romo saying it or gus johnson saying it maybe like i'm not 100 percent sure who said it but jimmy johnson said that it was harder coaching against bad teams than good teams mm-hmm. because yeah. it's easier to prepare your team because they know they have to bring their a game against better teams because totally. they know that if they screw up, then they're going to fall behind. But if they're playing a bad team, then they're going to come in. Not a hundred percent. They're not going to take it as serious. And if they fall behind and they're playing against a team that they weren't expecting, then all of a sudden they're scrambling. And it's harder to get them back on track. It's harder to game plan. What are they going to bring? Yeah. So it makes a lot of sense when you think about it. Yeah, it's true. And it's so much easier to preach like the David versus Goliath. Like if you're the underdog, it's so much easier to get your room up for that. You're, 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 you're right. And I think we see examples of that all the time. Um, And yeah, the Cardinals are not, they're no exception to that, right? Like they have a lot of talent, but they definitely, uh, played down to their opponent's level. And that sounds like an insult to, to the Lions, and it's really not. It's just they don't have the same talent on the field that uh, the Cardinals do. Yeah, for sure. So, man, shout out the Lions. I think they're the people's team this year. I yeah. think Dan Campbell is the people's head coach of the year this year. Even if they went winless, people were saying this is the best winless team we've seen because yeah. they've kept good teams. Yeah. Like they've they're doing it all they, with Jared yeah. Goff. Yeah. And who to throw to? TJ yeah. Hawkinson. That's about it. Who hasn't stepped up like everyone really thought he would. Yeah. I mean, he's not had a bad campaign, but um yeah, it's <laughs> they are still starting Jared Goff. So yeah. 
and winning yeah. football games. <laughs> like they forced San Fran to come back against them. Well, like I said, Tucker needed to hit a 66 or 67 yard field goal to beat them. And they've rallied off two wins in a row. Yeah. Minnesota, Minnesota last week and Arizona this week. So yeah, everyone loves the Lions. I want them to do well just because I've like you said, the culture that they've developed there is unbelievable. Well, it's kind of been fun seeing the Browns slowly rewrite their their reputation a little bit, right? And they're they're not there yet, but they at least have started to change their culture. And um, I hope the Lions can do the same because you just get sick and tired of seeing the same teams at the bottom each year. Um, I'm all about that parody and reshuffling the deck. Well, to continue on that, I was talking to Hayden about this last night. Seeing the Bengals fight for the top of the division now after being bottom feeders for so long, yeah, it's so cool to see. Like, they just beat the Broncos fifteen to ten. Jamar Chase is looking like the right pick, mm-hmm. even though yeah. people said they should have gone Sewell. Which, but now Jamar Chase is like, he has his guy. Burrow has his guy. Char- yeah. Chase has his guy, and like they're a fun team to watch. They, they got are. one underrated offense i guess not underrated it's pretty rated now but they got a legitimate offense boyd t higgins jamar yeah. chase joe mixon joe burrow yeah like, so and chase uh not chase mixon is finally like consistently Healthy. producing yeah whereas like he would have like a 200 yard running game and then three like 30 yard games whereas oh. like now he's staying a lot more consistent yeah he's always the fantasy running back that you see yeah. creeping yeah. at the beginning of the second round where it's like i i know yeah. if i'll take him i'll be disappointed but he's better yeah. than the next guy here and it's like and i was one of those jaded yeah. jaded people who passed on him this year because of that yes but, i mean i just know that it was like if i pick him I'm going to want to get him off my team because he's not produced. It's yeah. So (laughs) finally, he's finally doing well, which is nice to see. And yeah, a lot of people had Zach Taylor on the hot seat this year, but now he might be in running for coach of the year. So it's good. Like that's another team who are kind of rewriting their reputation. And it's nice to see the Bengals back to their competitive ways. Like, what was it like around 2014 to 2016 when Andy Dalton was there? Like they were pretty competitive. Like they made it to the playoffs a few times. They had like a 13 and three season and then they were like first round exits or something like that. Yeah. They had a couple of oh. flashes in the pen. Marv Lewis was still coaching them. Yeah. And he was just not a great coach. And it's funny because it changes the complex of that division, right? Cause the Steelers are kind of, you know, like there's a new, the, the hierarchy is switching in that division, which is kind of cool. Yeah. Uh, Pittsburgh, they're a quarterback away from like just being really That's competitive again. Guys, that I really wonder what their offseason looks like. Um, I, it's clear to me that man, most people, if you've watched, Big Ben is just he's watching. Yeah, and he came out and said that I think this is his last ride. I think he's yeah. retiring after this year. And I think Pittsburgh gets Rodgers. Man, it's it could make, happen, man. That's making, an, people don't talk about that enough. It's making a lot of sense. Yeah, their defense is top three. They lots are, of good weapons. They just got Najee Harris, who's good out of the backfield, which is exactly what Rogers likes. They got yeah. Fryermuth, who Ooh. Rogers likes to use as tight ends. Took him in my dynasty yeah. as well. I think he's going to yeah. be exceptional going yeah. forward. He looks like he's great. And then 
if Claypool can actually, you <laughs> show know, some awareness. <laughs> yeah, show some awareness. And I mean, Deontay Johnson, he's showing that he's a dynamic receiver and yeah. Juju's hurt too. So if he can come back healthy and if he sticks with the team, like who knows? But hey, that's man, that's an interesting that, uh, option. That team is scary, but yeah, that division is not a like the, it's almost becoming Cincy's division now. After this season, if they can continue this, Pittsburgh's teetering off. The Ravens can't find any sort of like groove. Like uh, they're yeah, just as they think you're fi- they you think they're finding it. Lamar, you know, gets hurt, and well, their or, running back room has been a disaster. But or even they'll win a huge game against Kansas City and then they'll lose to like the Jets next sure. week. And it's yeah. like, what's happening with this team? Yeah. I can't <laughs> tell. So yeah. is there any other uh news amongst the NFL that you want to talk about? Any other games, teams that are standing out to you? Not significantly. You know, there will be some intrigue just with uh what happens with these final matchups, just with how it sh- if it shakes up that wild card playoff picture at all heading into next week. But uh it was uh, nothing else from the matchups perspective. I think it'll be a f- nice slate of games next week, though. Um, some great ones right off the top. I mean, even starting with the Thursday nighter and the Niners and the Titans, there's going to be some good football. It's a fun time of year for football. Um, can't beat it. I didn't even bring this up. Urban Meyer was fired. <laughs> yeah. Urban, I, yeah. Yeah. I uh, didn't talk about this on my podcast yet. Urban Meyer fired. Yeah, um, signs a five-year contract with the Jags. Last thirteen games, um, <laughs> <laughs> fire, fire. Yeah, I mean, uh, Trevor Lawrence was screwed immediately. Yeah, he had zero chance. No, I mean, I don't even know where to begin with all that. It just seemed like such a comedy of poor decisions from. I mean, you can't blame him for tra- drafting Travis Etienne because no one's going to project him going down for the season. And he could have been and probably will be a really great player. But boy, it, Urban Meyer, I mean, that just it just looked like he never had the room and um, just an awful product. I mean, that team was just ill prepared to play football most weeks. So it was uh, it was long overdue. 13 games was too much. <laughs> yeah. What do you think about Josh Lambeau coming out? And uh, his uh, quotes and about what happened with Urban Meyer and him. I didn't hear his quotes, actually. What was what was he? Do you mind paraphrasing that for me? So he came out and with amongst the Urban Meyer news within Jacksonville, he um, sorry, I just was going to bring up the quotes here on Twitter here. No problem. I heard there was, I know, uh, Marvin Jones apparently had some run-ins with urban. I'm sure many players had some run-ins with urban Meyer. It sounded like he ran a bit of a dictatorship, um, which is just not going to fly in 2021. So Lambo said, um, amongst the urban Meyer controversy with everything going on this season, um, Josh Lambeau, former kicker, says he's in a lunge position in camp. I believe this happened in August. And he's in a lunge position, left leg forward, right leg back. And Urban Meyer comes up and kicks him in the leg and says, hey, dipshit, stop, like, start making your effing kicks. And then Lambeau was, like, speechless. He just, like, can't, yeah. couldn't, couldn't believe what happened. He was, like, 
it wasn't a hard kick, but it yeah. definitely wasn't light. He said he'd put it like around a five out of ten. Yeah. And then he said he was like, "Don't effing kick me." Yeah. And then Urban Meyer said, "I'm the head ball coach. I can kick you whenever the f I want." And that is why he's no longer coaching. I mean, yeah. that's an archaic way to run a football team or well just it's an archaic mentality but um because i had read the reports of him kicking players but i hadn't heard that specific kind of interaction so but that it doesn't shock me unfortunately right i mean that's it sounds like that was the kind of um situation he was trying to run where it was uh his way or the highway and yeah the co- that kind of coaching approach i just don't believe works uh it, anymore it could have worked in college it doesn't work in the NFL because these yeah. are grown men who have enough power to override you, especially in this time. Now with PC culture, all that. Yep. And and like, yeah, it just it just doesn't work. And like, what are you doing, man? Yeah. <laughs> like you're not fooling anyone here. No. No one's gonna take you seriously. Yeah, like. Well, and not only all the stuff going on surrounding the team, but then the decision-making process on the field. And he, he's insisting on running out Carlos Hyde and giving him the football. Just stubborn, right? And just yeah. not, um, not adept for today's game. So uh, adios. You know, the Jags have some potential there. They're not – they have a lot of work to do on that roster, but – you know, next season, I'll be curious with a healthy Travis Etienne and Trevor Lawrence with a coach who hopefully is uh, really working with him and his development. We'll see what they look like next year. Yeah, I uh, I totally agree with you there. So I wanted to talk some MLB stuff with you, but we're kind of running long on time here. So we'll uh, kind of save yeah, that I'll... for another time. But it was good, buddy. Uh, on this show, we do a little segment called Time for the Press, and we're I send out all my story. If anyone has any questions, send them in and followers and listeners tune in and ask us questions and thoughts on the topics. Sweet. Uh, so this first one comes from Hayden Barton, just talking about him. And he says, is the next question for the Jags, Dennis Allen. Ooh. Now I don't necessarily know who Dennis Allen is. I'm not aware of that name. He's the defensive coordinator for the saints. Um, so he was filling in for Sean, um, oh, okay. last night as head coach. And there was a report I read this morning that he had a quote saying he would relish an opportunity to take on the head coaching role again. Cause obviously his tenure in, uh, with the Raiders was probably more of a byproduct of just that like sewage tank of an organization at that point than it was his coaching yeah. ability. And it was his first gig, but he's done such a good job with the saints D. I mean, that defense uh-huh. is unbelievable. I think any, and honestly, I love Sean Payton. So again, I'm biased, but I think he's just spits out like good coaches that come from that system. And I think like, this is the last year that will, that Dennis will be a DC. I think he'll find a gig um, this coming year. And the Jags would be interesting. I, who knows if that's the situation he's looking for, but um, that would be an interesting fit. And I do believe he'll try it again with a head coaching gig. Because, I mean, Jacksonville has a reputation of really good defense and then build the offense around the defense. Yeah. So, I mean, if they can kind of get back to that, then why yep. not? They have a good 
linebacker, defensive lineman, and Josh Allen. Yep. And if they're getting the first pick this year, which it kind of looks like it's trending towards that. Yeah. They could fill a roster hole. They, and if they get that defensive end from Michigan, yeah. And then they bring in Dennis Allen, build that defense. You got two studs there immediately. It's true. And then you got your franchise quarterback, try and bring in a offensive mind who can like a good offense coordinator, then your yeah. team's got some new life. Cause it's I think true. I think that team was had no chance right from the Urban Meyer hiring, like immediately. I think yeah. that just team it was a bit had, of a doomed experiment. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. So yeah, I don't see. I, don't, I think that Dennis Allen hiring, seeing what he's done with the Saints, I think that could be good for them, in my opinion. Yeah, and I think he did a really good job last night filling in for Sean. I that was like his that was like his interview audition. I mean, for, holding the greatest quarterback of all time to zero points is yeah. So I think he. I I want to see him stay. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think it'll happen. I think he's kind of just he's proven he's too good at this yeah. point. I agree. This next one. Final one comes from Kyler Reed, my former or my boss at uh, my landscaping company. Big Eagles fan. Nice. He asks, where will Tyler Huntley end up next year? Dude is legit. I think he resigns, stays in Baltimore, in my opinion, because I think. That's that's a really curious question because. You see guys that are in the shadow of really good quarterbacks and what happens to them. And it's hard to compare. Like, what would be the best comp for Huntley, I guess, for someone who's kind of sitting second fiddle on the quarterback depth chart? And then I'd probably compare him to the guy who's sitting behind. Yeah. Yeah. Man, that's an interesting question. Um, Because there's not a lot of systems that operate under this style of play that he it's true you know so he's a good running mobile quarterback and what systems necessarily give off that like buffalo kind of has that but they already have their quarterback and josh allen philly maybe with Jalen Hurts, but I mean, I don't think they're really stepping up huge going from Hurts to Huntley. No, I mean, I do get the and, sense that like franchises are more willing to bring in that kind of versatile quarterback. Um, you know, we've seen success with those kind of quarterbacks, but they also have the arm strength to make those challenging throws and not just use their legs. I'd love to see a little more tape, truthfully, before really getting a true verdict on him, but um, does he end up in Carolina? That's another system that caters that kind of quarterback play. Even so it's not like he's a, they're a young quarterback. If they kind of come bring him in as like, just basically trying to do with Sam Darnold, right? They were trying to bypass the draft and bring in a young quarterback who still had potential and the Sam Darnold experience went how, you know, many thought it would after some really great games. But um, that's the kind of thing that I think that organization would jump jump at with, they kind of showed their hand with what they did with Sam. Yeah, I agree. It could, it's definitely an interesting conversation to have. I never really thought about him being a quarterback who teams would look for. I didn't either. And that's why almost that question almost took me back is, is like, wow, I guess after, 
I mean, yes. Like that. You yes. have to. Yeah. Yesterday, he yeah. took the best team, one of the best teams in the league, and had them come back and win. And he threw no picks, three touchdowns, almost 300 yards, if not 300 yards. Like yeah. he was in an underwhelming offense. So, true. I mean, true. he's kind of shown that he can play in the big stage. So, yeah. And uh, we'll see. I think it really comes down to, well, so many variables, but where teams are on the draft board and what that quarterback class looks like this coming year. And, um, whether teams believe enough in that class or if they're looking for something like that, where yeah. they're kind of gambling on not a ton of tape, but what you see, you, you really like. Yeah, exactly. I um, completely agree. So it's going to be interesting to see where he goes. Cause that's, yeah, a, that's a definitely a quarterback who's put his name on a lot more teams ballots than at the start of the year. Yeah, I agree. hundred percent. So, Brett, we also do another segment, a weekly segment called On This Day in Sports History. Sweet. So we are recording on December 20th. So what has happened in sports history on December 20th? I'm going to give you some three things. It's more of an educational segment just to kind of let you know what's happened. So in 1921, we're doing a little bit of baseball here. Nice. The AL. American League votes to return to the best of seven series, whereas the NL voted for the nine game series. But Commissioner Kennesaw Mountain Landis (laughs) voted on the seven game series for uh, baseball. What do you think about a nine game series? I think that's too long. That's That's probably too long. I mean, the only if they were if you could do it with a sport, it would probably be baseball. Um, but that's a little too long. Uh, I think the best of seven is like that perfect balance. Yeah. Um, I think that kind of caters more to baseball's like old mentality of like America's pastime. And we could just play this game forever. Yeah. <laughs> People would still like care about it. Uh, but I think nine would be a little too long, especially in this day and age. <laughs> yeah, no, that's for sure. But yeah, it was a cool little thing in yeah. baseball world. Uh, shifting over to basketball, 1966, the okay. NBA awards Seattle Supersonics a franchise for the 67-68 season. And still a team amongst conversation to return to yeah. Seattle in the NBA. Yeah. So it's that's a, another team that's kind of like fits the Vegas mold of like super passionate fan base that just got everything pulled from them undeservingly. Yeah, so. and now they got a taste with the Kraken, and right? Um, Mariners have been, you know, they have good support there yeah. uh, in that general area, right? Because um, a lot of those fans would have migrated up to catch their sporting events and whatever. So that's an interesting spot, man. Like, yeah. uh, I think that would be good to have those. Anytime you can draw on some of that nostalgia and have it be a like a successful venture for your league is like a win-win for both yeah. fans and the league alike. Yeah, I uh, I completely agree with you there. And to end things off, 1973, Montreal Canadian Henri Richard records his 1,000th point. 1,000. Wow. So uh, kicking it back there. One of the all-time greats. 100%. So. Yeah, wow. That's uh, I love how you like went like through it way back. That's wicked. 
Um, and a thousand points. I mean, that rolls off the tongue so easily, but that is so many freaking points. Um, yeah. like it's remarkable. Uh, the game was a little different then, but that's, it doesn't change how like, that's <laughs> just wild. Thousand points. Whenever people bring up that argument about the, like whether the goat debate on like Gretzky and him scoring the amount of goals that people say, ah, oh, his era kind of sucked, that kind of yeah. thing. Like, I always say, then why didn't everyone do it? Yeah, it's true. It's true. Right? It was so easy. Yeah. If it was so easy, why didn't everyone get a th- almost a thousand goals and two thousand yeah. points? If it was so easy, that's it that's was so true. Yeah. So, I mean, back then, I don't think everyone was recording a thousand points, but no. Ani Richard found a way to do it. So, greatness is greatness, right? Yeah. What does he have? Like eleven Stanley Cups, or is that? Yeah, because it's Henri and Maurice, right? Yeah, just such Henri. dominance for so yeah. long. It's um, unbelievable. Not only unbelievable. A point score like points, and then just like franchise success. Yeah. It's incredible. It is incredible. Brett, man, this was a hell of a time. That was wicked. This was a, this was a ton of fun. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for it was having a blast. me. Blast! I love having guests on who can talk about different sports and have some knowledge in it. So it was a pleasure having you on. Oh, anytime, buddy. Anytime. Let the people know where they can find you, any projects you're working on. Yeah, absolutely. That. You can find me uh, on uh, Instagram, Brett Roselle music. Um, I am actively uh, a musician, singer, songwriter, as well as a student at BCIT. So you can follow me at Brett Roselle music on uh, Instagram. Uh, my website, brettrosell.com. And uh, on TikTok as well as Brett Roselle Music. So hit me up on any of those social platforms. You can find me and reach out if you want. I really appreciate it, Brad. You guys know where to follow me on Instagram at Jevin.Lefave, on Twitter at Jevin Lefave. Find anything for the show on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Left Side Heavy underscore. Be sure to subscribe to the YouTube channel, Left Side Heavy. Turn on notifications, comment, like. Leave all that really helps the show and leave a rating on Apple and Spotify uh, helps grow the show. And I apologize. I may have called you Brad like two seconds ago. I meant to say Brad, I meant to say Brett, but for some reason I think Brad came out of my mouth. And I I literally, I'll be honest. I have no excuse for that. So it's all right. You were immediately forgiven. (laughs) Brett. Thank you so much for coming on once again, man. It was a blast and I'm looking forward to having you on again. You're really a, you're a cool, uh, you're a good time. That's for sure. So oh, I'd love to, man. Anytime uh, we'll set it up again. hundred percent. I was, uh, I loved it. So uh, I'll keep consuming the pod and we'll chat again soon. And one thing before you head out, uh, it is the holiday season. So how are you celebrating that? Uh, I am here. I, uh, I've got a three month old son um, now, so it's his first Christmas. So rock star in the making, of, uh, a lot of excitement. Um, just some family stuff, keeping it low key, but uh, yeah, you know, it's my son's first Christmas. So that'll be kind of fun. What is your favorite Christmas movie? Oh boy. Um, honestly, I got home alone, like the original home alone for me, Great because movie. I'm not big on like the like Hallmark. Like I love Christmas Christmas movies. I'm fine with them, but I always like a little more slapstick, a little more offbeat. So Home Alone was great because it was still a Christmas movie technically, but there was a lot of slapstick humor in there. And just watching, like, I just love the classic humor in Home yeah. Alone. 
for sure. I agree. <laughs> do you have any uh, Christmas traditions you kind of do? You kind of stick to? Honestly, um, my dad was a firefighter, and then I worked in aviation, so my, our Christmases have been in flux for a long time. Yeah. With my family, but my wife's family is very tradition uh, oriented, so there's going to be a, a couple big dinners that will be a part of this year, um, and uh, building some new traditions now with uh, with our family. Yeah, with us, we just watch Polar Express every Christmas Eve. Awesome. Every Christmas Eve is awesome. Polar Express. Right Great before story. Bread. Yeah. Polar Express has become one of my favorite ones. And, you know, you got to throw Christmas Vacation and Elf up yeah. there, too. <laughs> yeah. Elf, oh, yeah. 100%. Elf is all yeah. time. All time. <laughs> it's in a Christmas movie Hall of Fame. That's for sure. It is. Yeah. That's Can't for sure. Wrong. But that's where we'll wrap it up, man. Merry Christmas. Happy holidays to the listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in. There is a kickback and relax episode coming on Friday on Christmas Day. Having my sisters on and we're going to talk about Christmas movies. We might do a little Christmas movie bracket, you know, Christmas movie showdown. So tune in for that. It's going to be a blast. But obviously, spend some time with your families. Have fun. Have any fun you possibly can with these new mandates. So it's very tough to do. But Thank you so much for listening, um, and we'll see you guys Friday. Peace.